When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. How do I? I'll skip ahead a bit. No, I can't skip ahead. All, all right, everybody, into the time machine. No, 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 no! You don't understand how radio works. All I have to do to return this is fade my voice out like this. You the organist. And you see, here we are. Wait a minute. 63 Audio presents the Old Time Radio Essentials Podcast. Greetings all who gather here and welcome to Old Time Radio Essentials. If this is your first time joining us, and even if it ain't, I must inform you that this is episode 21. My name is Pete. And I'm Paul. Dave, unfortunately, could not be with us for this taping, and he sends his greetings and promises to be back with us next time. So, Paul, it's just you and me this time. The purpose of our show is to... Pre- Wait, what? What, what, what? what do you mean Dave's not here? Yeah, he'd be here today, but he's at a dentist appointment. Oh. That's too bad. What, what's wrong? He's got an ingrown toenail. Ah. Well, geez. I I didn't know we could back out of episodes. Hell, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have been here today. Oh, come on now. You're kidding me, right? Well, you probably didn't know this, but it's my wedding anniversary today, and I had to do some major sucking up with my wife to get this time available. I did know it, and I sent her 20 bucks so she'd be more open to the idea. Oh. Well, I, I guess that explains the four rolls of dimes that dropped on my foot this morning. Happy anniversary! <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. The purpose of our show is to present specific episodes of our favorite old-time radio series, episodes that stand out as particularly representative of those series or as one of those quotable episodes that fans of old radio like to discuss either in person or on social media. We'll open each episode by introducing the selection, describing it briefly, and then we'll play it for you. Then we'll come back at the end and discuss it at length, each of us giving his opinion on its merit, its performances, or anything that stands out for us. And that's exactly what we're presenting to you, just our opinions on whether or not it's worthy of a place in every old-time radio aficionado's personal collection. You don't have to agree with us. And in fact, we may not agree with each other, but we hope you'll enjoy what we bring to the table and come back for more. Each of us three will take turns selecting a show for discussion. Last month's choice was mine, and that was an episode of Fibber, McGee, and Molly called Pioneer Days, just in case you missed it. And this month, it had normally come back around to Paul, but as we warned you last month, warned? Yeah, that seems appropriate. As we warned you last month, we've got, as our guests, the hosts of the long-running and far more popular old-time radio discussion podcast, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. Welcome, Joshua, Tim, and Eric. Hello. Hi. Hello. Thank you. Hi, guys. Uh, Welcome to the show. 
since you're our guest, you're also responsible for the show selection. So please tell us your choice and tell us a little bit about it. Well, I chose the episode, uh, as I often do for our own podcast. <laughs> and I chose it mainly because uh, Pete turned down my first suggestion. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did because it was too much like your regular morals fair, and I thought you might want to go outside your normal purview. No, I appreciate the prodding, and uh, it led me to bring this episode, which is the Radio Primer from Columbia Workshop, and it is a little piece of satire on the radio biz. Hello, this is Pete coming to you from the future to break in at this time with some more information about our featured series. Well, I say from the future, but it's really only the day after we recorded this segment. Although I am, for some reason, talking to you from a spacecraft just outside the atmosphere of Jupiter. Um, anyway, Columbia Workshop was a Peabody Award-winning radio series that aired on the Columbia Broadcasting System from 1936 to 1943, returning in 1946 to 1947. It began as the brainchild of radio engineer, writer, and director Irving Reese. His idea was to use experimental modes of narrative to enhance the way a narrative was conveyed over the radio. For Reese, the Columbia Workshop was a platform for developing new techniques for presentation on radio. The series was later taken over by famed radio director and producer William N. Robeson. Notable guest directors include Orson Welles, who, prior to the creation of the Mercury Theater on the Air, directed several radio adaptations of Shakespeare's plays for the workshop. Bernard Herrmann was the primary musical arranger and composer for the series, and, as you may be aware, went on to conduct the orchestra for the Mercury Theater on the air. We now return you to our regularly scheduled program, which is already in progress. And so, without further delay, we present a radio primer from May 4th, 1941, and the Columbia Workshop. And now, friends, adjust your radio dials to the proper frequency. Get comfortable and listen. Columbia Workshop presents the first of 26 by Corwin. Radio Primer. This is a radio primer. Ba-da, ba-da, ba-da. The most elementary show you've heard. By far, by far, by far. An alphabetical primer. A, B, C, D, F, E. Degree by degree from A to Z, our primer will prim. The radio industry. The radio industry. A. A stands for announcers. What are announcers? Announcers are men who announce. They have pep, they have zip, they have bounce. They win friends and influence masses by diction which simply surpasses the fanciest talk on Parnassus. They never coax, wheedle, or flounce. They stress only what really counts. And no matter what the time of the day or the circumstances or their personal or public opinions or the state of the nation or the weather or their last quarterly earnings, they're soulless in their work up to the last ounce. 
the last stop. There are all kinds of announcers. This is well. Some announcers are very commanding. Go now. Tear up. Don't fail. Remember the name. Don't be fooled. Insist on. Send in. Try once. Others are more appealing. Why not try? Have you ever wondered? Won't you ask? And some are very friendly. Friends, I want to tell you about an easy way. Did you ever wake up in the morning feeling so much for announcing? So much for announcing. B. B stands for breakfast food. What is breakfast food? Breakfast food is what you have to eat before you can be a hero. Anthropologists tell us the ancient Aztecs, at the height of their culture, used to eat three square breakfasts a day. Historians testify inscriptions at the time of the destruction of the temple by Samson show that on the day of his fateful act, Samson ate a heaping dish of whammy. But that's not all. Astronomers report the composition of the sun, which is the entire source of the Earth's energy, is as follows. 18% hydrogen, 31% carbon, 6% helium, and 45% breakfast food. So much for breakfast food. So much for breakfast food. C. C stands for Crosley. What is Crosley? Crosley is a system of measuring radio audiences. If a program is rated at 30 points, that is very good because it means about 25 million people are listening. 25 million is very good. If only 7 million listeners are listening, that is not so good. You tried your best. We know how you feel. Too bad. Maybe some other time. If only 1 million people hear you, you are talking to yourself. Radio people take Crosley ratings very seriously. This may be seen by consulting figure one, which consists of a scene in the office of an advertising agency handling a big radio account. Uh, J.B. Yes, R.M.? What's our Crosley this week? 26.2. And what was it in the last report? 26.3. You mean to say we've dropped a tenth of a point? Yes, R.M. And in the report before that, we also dropped a tenth. Two tenths. Oh, I can't stand it. What are you doing, R.M.? What does it look like, J.B.? Like suicide. But don't be hasty. Next week, we may go up a point. He done it. I didn't think he would do it, but he done it. So much for the Crosley. So much for the Crosley. D. D stands for deadline. A deadline is the time something has to be done by or ready at. If a program is not ready on schedule, it cannot be postponed a couple of hours or days. This is why radio directors sing the deadline song when they are deep in trouble. A deadline is the one thing I abhor. Go away, deadline, and don't come back no more. Go away, deadline, you are an awful pest. There ought to be a law to put you under arrest. A deadline is so hungry, a deadline must be fed. Someday I'm gonna get so mad, I'll kill a deadline. for experts. An expert is a man who knows all the answers to questions he asks himself. He makes predictions which, if they turn out wrong, he forgets about, but if they turn out right, he reminds you of. Experts know everything except how each other got to be experts. Experts are busy men. It's not easy to be an expert on foreign affairs. The toll charges are very high. The news behind the news behind the news that afternoon. Who? Collect call from King Michael. Put him on. Remain here on the number four wire. Okay. 
Hello, Mike. Say, I got a call from Stepanovich this afternoon asking me to stay in my broadcast tonight. Huh? Well, I know, but he claims... Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, now... Uh-huh. No, I checked that last night. Got it right from headquarters. you sound dead, or if alive, on the other end of a telephone. You are an honorary filter user if you are a ghost or a conscience. Nobody ever thinks thoughts to himself in radio without he does it on a filter. Do you suppose anybody's listening to us? Well, gosh, the workshop always had a pretty good audience. It has, eh? Do you think you can hold that audience? Why, uh, we had been hoping... Uh... <laughs> Filter voices are usually mean. Some directors can't get along without a filter. Others hate filters and never use them. That will be all for filters. So much for filters! G. G stands for grief. Grief is an emotion without which actresses would not be happy. Actresses learn how to cry before anything else. This is fortunate for programs which experience a lot of grief. There are three main types of crying. First is the wait-until-the-door-closes-before-breaking-down kind, figure three. Goodbye, John. Goodbye. It's better this way, Ruth. Yes, it's better this way. Well, I... I guess that's all. Yes, I guess that's all. Of the art of Mr. Pooh, see Figure 6. 
If you broke a leg this morning, do not mind. You could have broken two or gone stone blind. If your skull was badly fractured, do not fret. There'll be a silver lining in it yet. For the gloom is always blackest ere the storm. Just wait a while and you'll be back in form. If you lost your job this morning, do not worry. Someone's sure to find it in a hurry. If your girl rejected you, do not lose hope. She may turn out to be a fearful dope. For the black is always gloomiest ere the storm. Just stick along and you'll be back to norm. If you have but one shirt left, do not despair. That's better than being absolutely bare. If you're sentenced to be hanged most any day, cheer up. We all die sometime anyway. For the black is always stormiest ere the gloom. No matter where you are, or what, or whom. That will be enough for inspiration. That will be enough for inspiration. J. J stands for Jupiter. What is Jupiter? Jupiter is an outpost of the enemy in children's programs. It is inhabited by wicked jupes, whose skin is green and whose eyes are on stalks like lobsters. Jupes bear no resemblance to earthmen except in their lust for power and the fact that they speak English, which is the universal language of the universe. Though one of the most powerful planets in the cosmos, Jupiter has a tough fight on its hands because mankind happens to be represented by Tex, Millicent, and the Professor. This is illustrated in Figure 8. Turn on the death ray, Tex, and let them have it. I can't, Professor. The atomic integrator excavator condenser coil is busted. Sounds, jumping gyroscopes. What will we do now? The Jupiter fleet is bearing down on us at 6,000 miles per second. Gosh, it looks like we're done for. Wait, Professor. I think I can fix it. Only seconds are left. There. How's that? Ah, fix. Great, Millicent. You have saved civilization. This means peace in our time. Just wait till I spray him with this death ray. Get set, Tex. I await your order, Professor. Ready. Aim. Fire! That will be all for Jupiter. That will be all for Jupiter. K. K stands for killer. A killer is a man with a gun. Because if he didn't have a gun, nobody could hear him kill. He has bad manners and is uneducated. Don't give me none of that lip. This is well. For otherwise, he would neither terrify nor intimidate. But please do not give me any of that lip, please. That will be all for killers. L. L stands for laughter. Laughter is something without which a comedy program could not be comic. Thousands and thousands of dollars are spent to get a good laugh on the air. This is well. Figure 9 demonstrates how it is possible to get a good laugh on the air for next to nothing. M. M stands for mother. To be a mother, one must not only have children, but philosophy. All mothers are wise, and most of them speak with a sectional accent. If you ask me, Jed, I think you're being made a fool of. There comes a time in a man's life when he either gets up and gets or he shrugs his shoulders and figures he's about done for. And it's a heap better, my son, to go getting up and getting instead of quitting. We will proceed now with N. We will proceed with N. N stands for narrator. 
Narrators are deep-voiced men full of information who keep track of characters in plays or tell you dates in history. Everything that happens is ominous to some narrators, mostly on account of it's an ominous world. On busy Fifth Avenue in mid-Manhattan today, two women in their early 30s, but prosperous but nearsighted, collided as they were stepping off a curbstone. Take your pardon. That's quite all right. And so the world goes. That much for narrator. That for narrator. O stands for Orson. Who is Orson? What is he? That all the critics tell him. Holy terror of the mercury publicity. Publicity radio is here to stay, and likewise, most of radio believes the press is here to stay. This is well. Some papers have their doubts about radio drama, however, as may be seen in figure 11. Well, Chief, the show's all lined up and the announcements have gone out. Fine. Did you stress the angle of the bigness of the production setup? Yes, sir. I listed everything. Uh -huh. Script by Ernest Hemingway, music by Sibelius, orchestra of 75 men under Sikorsky, Deems Taylor announcing, cast of 62, including eight stars, a choir of 20 voices, sound effects crew of seven. And 400 extras. Good. I see the Chronicle gave it an excellent advance notice. How did the evening clarion call? Uh, 10.30 to 11 p.m. Sketch. We will go on to other things. We will go on. Q. Q stands for quiz programs. Quiz programs are programs which make you feel good if you know the answers, which the guy at the microphone doesn't. But if he does know the answers and you don't, well, then you figure he spent all his life reading encyclopedias, and who wants to do that? Life's too short anyway. 
Quiz fans have a national anthem, which was written last July 4th by Francis Scott Shapiro, and which follows without further introduction. And when is the mating season of the microscopic rhizopod, commonly known as the amoeba? What the is better, what's shaded, what's How often, how many, where are they, if any? From Brooklyn, how far is Tatara, Benares? And is a mollusk a temple of prayer in Arabia? Or a farmer's cooperative in Russia? Or a South American melon? Or a Dutch cheese? And if a train traveling 80 miles an hour overtakes another train traveling 60 miles an hour on the same track, is that, I ask you, any kind of a way to run a railroad? No, 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 no. The answer is no. R. R stands for remote control. Remote control is a dandy way of picking up broadcasts from outside a studio. In fact, it is the only way. Engineers are wizards, bless their heart. And when they get to fooling around with wires and coils and all like that, almost anything can happen and often does. Listeners will not soon forget the first pickup of the transmission of sound through electrical energy generated in the brain of the North Dakota chinch bug. This sound, which occurs at a frequency too high for the human ear to hear, was picked up by means of microphonic megamplification. This is well. The result may be heard by consulting figure 12A, which follows. That was a sound beyond the reach of the human ear, amplified 16,249 times. 16,249. S. S stands for soporific. A soporific is what you need after a hard day's work in the office or in the kitchen or both. When your nerves are on edge and Junior has been such an aggravation all day, you have no idea. Soporifics put you to sleep. And in radio, the best soporifics have voices deeper even than narrators, mainly because they feel the world more keenly and besides, it's getting late at night. Some soporifics have been known to put listeners to sleep for periods ranging up to four days. The organ, either hand or electric, is indispensable to soporification, as indicated clearly in figure 14. When Phoebe and Dr. Grumman gather up, and in the transit night for soonly sup of myrrh and the smirds of Arcady, when chumblers in the dimlet aspenade bestrew the glamorantine of the glade, then come, love, cast thy wants and cherry dibs and troll and fulsome scriptures on the air, for hearts that beat in Wombledon Garoom can ne'er the druid fluid. Bloom the broom. And the druid, the fluid, the broom, the broom. You, you stand for understatement. Understatement is when a character has so much character that nothing affects him as much as it would affect a character with less character. The British are famous understaters, as may be gathered from the typical case of Sir Ronald Brinsley Brettingham who was captured by cannibals in southwest Borneo and boiled for dinner one night. As the chef was adding chives and thyme to the pot, Sir Ronald quit. I say, gentlemen, I'm really in a frightful stew. <laughs> this is a very good understatement. 
For actually, as you can well imagine, it was no laughing matter. In radio, there is sometimes understatement in sound, such as when a person enters a room without you hear a door open or any footsteps. He just suddenly appears and starts talking, just like that. He just floats in. Yes, that's right. This is known as productional understatement, or sound man's night off. Uh, that will be all for understatement. That will be all. V. V stands for variety. What is variety? Men known to man is Judge Solomon A. Trumbull, 
whose philosophy of life is based on the ancient Swedish legend, Trouble is a bubble. Judge Trumbull is justly famed for his brilliant radio analysis of personal problems, such as is typified in the case of Mr. B, the figure 16, who came to Judge Trumbull, weighted down by vexations of the most vexing sort. Judge Trumbull, Your Honor, dear Judge, I'm a poor man. All my life I've worked hard to make a living working hard. Even I took him boarders. My wife, she helped me. Judge Trumbull, Your Honor, I'm in such a trouble. Go on, Mr. B, just tell me everything. Well, it began like this. There I work in the same place, only in the cutting department. Works a man, a middle-aged man about my age, who I felt very sorry for. I see. Now, why did you feel sorry for him? Well, in the first place, he lost two fingers in the last war, and besides which, he's got a cross eye, and on top of that, he's an orphan. An orphan, you say? Yes. Mm-hmm. Nobody left in the world but him, you understand? I see. Go on. So I feel so sorry for him. I take him into my house as a boarder. I treat him honest like a brother. I let him wear my shirt, smoke my pipe, listen to my radio. Every Sunday night he listens to the Columbus workshop. And that's okay by me because I'm feeling sorry for the man. Judge Trumbull, it's such a trouble. Such a trouble, I mean. Now go right on, Mr. Bean. Well, after I treated the man like a brother for six months, I come home from a lodge meeting one night, and I find him and my wife coming down the front stairs with suitcases in their hands. So I say, I'm so shocked. I say, where are you going all of a sudden like this? And he says to me, he says, your wife is running away with me. That's where we are going. Now get out of my way or we'll be late for the train. So I'm so, I'm so dumbfounded, you understand. I just stand there speechless. So he gets mad and angry, and he commences to follow on me, so even the neighbors could hear him. And he says to me, he says, you better get out of my way, or I'll make trouble for you. And my wife, she also hollers on me. She says to me, she says, beat it now, or we'll both make trouble for you. I see. Now, what is your particular problem, Mr. B? Well, Judge Trumbull, Your Honor, what I want to know is, can they make trouble for me? That will be all for wisdom. Why? Why stands for nothing in particular? Nothing in particular. No, nothing in particular. Particularly particular. Why stands for nothing in particular? Z. Z stands for the end of the program. We have now reached the end of the primer. That is well. That is well. The most elementary show you've heard. By far, by far, by far. An alphabetical primer. A, B, C, D, F, E. Having thus come from A to Z, our primer has come. The radio industry. The radio. been listening to Radio Prima, the first of 26 by Corwin, a series of original programs written and produced by Norman Corwin and presented each week at this time by the Columbia Workshop. Lynn Murray composed and conducted the special score. Featured members of the cast were Everett Sloan, who played the principal definition giver, and Beatrice Kay. 
Sport Clubman, we're the singers. 26 by Cohen returns at this same time next week with an original drama, Log of the R-77. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. We're back with Old Time Radio Essentials. This is Pete with Paul and our special guests, Joshua, Tim, and Eric from the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. That was a radio primer, an episode of the Columbia Workshop, originally broadcast May 4th, 1941, on CBS Radio. Guys, this was your selection for this installment. What made you choose it for your guest appearance? Well, I enjoy Norman Corwin, uh, who wrote it. This was the first in a series of 26 productions he did in a row for Columbia Workshop. Which is amazing. Um, Yeah, and as you mentioned at the top, uh, this does not fit our normal podcast parameters as a mystery, crime, suspense, adventure-oriented show. Uh, So this was a good chance to get one of his um, productions in our uh, brains and let us talk about it. Great. So I'll just throw this out to anybody who wants to take the next one. Who? What did you guys think of it? Uh, well, yeah, it was way outside of our uh, our scope of what not only we do on our podcast, but way outside the scope of anything that I would sit down and pick for myself. I want to be very clear that we didn't sit down and have some kind of group discussion and say, hey, guys, what should we bring to this guy's these people's podcast and what would be really cool joshua said we're doing this and if you hate it tough and uh uh, and and just you know how we worked tim and i went great thank you so much for doing that work so we didn't have to uh and and so there's no animosity by any means by him picking it's just i didn't know what was happening until i got to about the letter l so uh, I was pretty lost. I just got this thing from Joshua and started listening to it. I also don't have any background in uh, much background in the CBS radio workshop, so I can't really compare it to anything else. I'm, I'm not that learned in that particular show. My hope is that all of the shows are just an A to Z listing of different topics. <laughs> uh, if that is the case, then bravo. This was excellent work. This is awesome. I don't know. Uh, it, it was, uh, but just getting that out there first. Second, I will say, as we talk about this, we'll get more detailed, but I will say that I gradually warmed up to it. Again, nothing that I would particularly pick for myself so and and didn't have any idea what I was getting into, so that was part of the issue. But I did warm up to what the the bit was, what's going on, what it was about, and uh, it got it got better as I got looser. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Well, that's a really good way of putting it. Uh, who's next? Uh, I will give this high kudos to this show. This show made me do something I never do when listening to a, a radio show for our podcast. I took notes. What? Wow. <laughs> Impressive. I, yes. You might have to teach me how to do that. Uh, <laughs> I am the worst teacher on this call. You can possibly <laughs> do that for you. Um, I had a really fun time, um, particularly the transitions, the musical, all the musical stings of, we're done talking about that now. Uh, it made me wish I could have that choral conversation change 
available to me at all well, times. So much for announcing. <laughs> <laughs> There's an app for that. <laughs> Ooh. You almost have to take notes on this one because, you know, it's not like you can memorize the plot line. <laughs> well, it is through the notes I discovered which letters they skipped entirely. Oh, oh. me too. Yeah. I did too. I'll, I'll, I'll wait for my turn. But yeah, I agree with you on that. They missed a couple. <laughs> they skipped a couple. Come on, compare notes, guys. No, they Sorry. didn't. They didn't <laughs> skip any. Those letters weren't invented yet. <laughs> <laughs> Joshua, what's your opinion of this? Well, I think it's really funny. And what I found particularly interesting about it is that a lot of the satire is current. As in, if we were going to do satire of radio today, we would right. include many of the things they make fun of. Announcers, commercials, um, you know, the emotionalism of drama, different genres. Uh, um, I mean, I think there are one or two things that I didn't quite get or haven't stood the test of time as much as others. But for the most part, I was surprised at, at how contemporary sounding and feeling most of this was good good paul what do you think uh what was the uh the one letter that ended up being like there uh, um how many people listened to him c it was, was the it? uh crosley crosley yeah crosley that's right Let me my notes. <laughs> that, that was Look, kind of funny. i wrote down every single word that they they covered on my notes yeah so yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're like we're down like one-tenth of a percent, and last month we're down one-tenth of a percent. It's not so bad, sir. We might be up one-tenth next month. Then you hear somebody crashing through a window. Yeah. <laughs> so he much done for it. the Crosley. I didn't think he'd do it, but he'd done it. That was, that was so funny. <laughs> I, of course, looked up how do the Crosley things worked. It was delightful. They would just call random people and say, what are you listening to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I re. I remember in the 70s that we would get um, in the mail uh, 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 for television ratings. They would send you a thing to write, uh, do your diary for the week if you wanted to. Oh. And in there, they taped, I kid you not, a dollar bill. And they said, you can keep this dollar if you just fill this out. <laughs> and 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 I, I, I'll never forget that. Like, I don't think any, I wonder how many people said, I'm not doing that. I'll just send this dollar bill back. You know, uh, but you you got a dollar and you would you would sit down with this diary and then turn it back in. And I remember thinking not too long ago um, when I, it was just this last few weeks when the Super Bowl ratings came out and I said, have they gotten to the point yet where they just know if my television is on there and how long it's on? And the answer was yes. And <laughs> I was like, do, oh, yeah. and then I went, oh, good. Then that must. Be oh, wait, that's not. <laughs> That's terrifying, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that was an interesting letter. That the that that how they get ratings and uh, how inaccurate that must have been. It must have been. And now for the for TV in the seventies, that was the Nielsen ratings. So Drafted. if this yeah, was Nielsen a TV rating. primer, you would have N for Nielsen probably. <laughs> as long as you just said that word, can I clear something up? Sure. I was really I had to go back and start over five ten minutes in because I couldn't stop thinking about the word primer. Because to me, it's always been I pronounced primer. Mm -hmm. And, and am, I, am I alone on that? Is no. It, anybody, no. Anybody else? no, you're not alone. An English teacher 
when I was in high school, pronounced the word primer. I said, primer, what is that? Oh, P-R-I-M-E-R. Yeah, so I think it's either way. I think it depends on how you're using it. If it's a base coat for paint, then it's primer. Primer. <laughs> right. It's the time travel movie. It's the first <laughs> It's the first coat of this radio program. Yes. <laughs> I wrote copious notes on this myself because I wanted to make sure I had all my – I wrote down all my favorite parts, so I had to go through it. The announcer, when he said – this is well. <laughs> that was so many times. <laughs> like, this is well. <laughs> what? <laughs> like you, you go that, like that with primer, primer. I go. This is well. <laughs> so, Almost uh, like Monty Python esque of. Yeah. And so it was. Uh, and so just, it went. Yes. Uh, I I love that. I, I there's so many wonderful songs in this. The the songs that were written for this program are just uh, amazing. The uh, deadline song. When he when he okay. sings about the deadline, that's that's like a song from Gershwin, you know. It sounds like uh, something out of Porgy and Bess almost. He said, "I'll kill that deadline dead." <laughs> My note on the deadline song was uh, very sarcastic. Uh, wow, that's catchy. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that's not a sing alongable song. No, <laughs> I'm gonna make a musical theater joke for musical theater nerds. Uh, that's about as catchy as every song in City of Angels. Thank you, everybody. That's a joke for four people. <laughs> He's here all week. Uh, Friday, I know one song. Some of my other favorites were uh, uh, The Filter Makes You Sound Dead or 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 On the Telephone, <laughs> because I use those two. Who doesn't use them in audio and drama? I use them all the time. What else did I love? The Trouble is a Bobble. <laughs> they did that, and then they came back later and did the same thing. Uh, Jupiter was funny, where it was the uh, the outpost of the enemy in uh, mm-hmm. children's science fiction programs. But the top, the top one for me, and I know it, you you guys had to love it too. The Orson song, O is for Orson, <laughs> and so she's singing this. And I don't know if you if, if you're Shakespeare fans, but Shakespeare wrote a poem called "Who Is Sylvia," and um, this is very much along those same lines: Who is Orson? What is he? And so on. I didn't understand all of the words throughout it. I think it was partly the recording was, wasn't all that great. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the song itself on what I could understand was just hilarious. I loved it. And that's part of what's great about it is you can't make out half of it, and it is still just highly amusing. Because yeah. every, you just have to say Orson, and they're singing a song about him, and you know what it's saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure Orson Welles heard this in 1941 uh, and and laughed his head off because he was he could he could easily make fun of himself. I'm surprised he didn't write it. <laughs> he may have. <laughs> well, he did work for Columbia Workshop, so uh, yep. he was an alum of the series. Too. Yeah. Yep. He yeah. cut his teeth there, right, Joshua? That was that uh, Fall of the City. Was well, originally. he was already a big name by then, I think, Fall of the or City, no, right but... before? No, it was right beforehand. Was his yeah. uh, Les Miserables in 1937 part of the Columbia Workshop, or was that a separate? I know he did Hamlet on uh I think that Columbia was all uh, Mercury. But uh, I just love the songs. The poetry was wonderful in the soporifics when uh, uh, they put you to sleep, and the, the guy's reciting the poem, and ne'er the druid fluid groom the flume. <laughs> I had to write that down. It's just so wonderful. The Variety song, they're singing about uh, the, the magazine, the showbiz magazine, Variety. Uh, yep. And then Wisdom, they get back to the trouble is a bubble. X got skipped. X was skipped completely. And you could have done something with X, probably. 
Y is for nothing in particular, and then Z is Z end of Z program. <laughs> but they also skipped, and I can't explain why, they skipped T. There was no T. That's right. They went from soporifics to understatement, and there's got to be a T word in there. I think they just slept right through T. They probably did. <laughs> from the soporifics. They woke up in time for you. <laughs> I love the soporifics just because, again, it connects to now. I mean, that's how I've fallen asleep is listening to old radio for most of my life. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, I've been putting people to sleep for almost 100 years. <laughs> well, it makes me wonder if there's now like YouTube videos of Scottish poetry that can just put me out. <laughs> we sleek it, Karen Timbers Beastie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh to a haggis oh my dear haggis can you lend me five bob until next Thursday <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we're back to Monty Python again it's fantastic yeah. uh, I liked a lot of the definitions at the top of each segment it reminded me of the devil's dictionary and I think a lot of them were clever enough to be in that they are Oh, like the the killer is a man with a gun because if he didn't have a gun, nobody would hear him. Kill. Right, right. Oh, <laughs> and he's uneducated. And he's a, yeah. Don't give me none of that lip. <laughs> <laughs> Just terrific stuff all the way through. The understatement was funny too uh, because I swear that on the podcast we have made this joke about an episode when a, when a sound effect is understated. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a, a productional understatement or the sound man's night off. <laughs> yes, that was terrific. <laughs> All of CBS Radio Mystery Theater is the sound man's, the sound night, man's off. night off. <laughs> so, so there's a, they just float in. Yeah. They just float <laughs> in. They don't have any. He's just he's already there and he's talking to you. There was a uh, um, uh, this might be a little bit too inside for your listeners, but that's the miracle of editing. So go ahead and edit this out. <laughs> but uh, Joshua and Tim, were you reminded? of uh when we got to jay for jupiter were you reminded of joshua's dicky whiz <laughs> uh, yeah we're that cutting that context <laughs> well the the joshua wrote these this parody radio show was it dicky whiz is that what it was called it's called all sorts of things bucky star burst the adult version was called dick small um <laughs> <laughs> But he wrote these very funny parodies a long time ago of a radio show that we pulled out and done on stage time to time. And they're just it was that it's that over the top uh, deus ex machina space battle nonsense and uh, uh, and all the tropes of all the characters. And as I was listening to it, I said, did, did, did Joshua write this? <laughs> it was it made me laugh so hard. But again, this is from. 1941 and this is all this stuff really stood the test of time and yeah. this is these were the tropes that people still recognize from radio today what i loved about the jupiter section was when he says uh, the hero says this means peace in our lifetime now just wait till i spray him with my death ray right <laughs> yeah it was a, a mix of these are bits of radio satire that everyone will recognize and there was also some real insider baseball kind of jokes mm -hmm. of like, well, what heterodyne or mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Nobody knew what heterodyne <laughs> was, so they 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 moved on from there. 
<laughs> That's the end of Heterodyne. The <laughs> breakfast food section right at the top was hilarious. When thirty-five oh, percent uh, of the sun is made of, <laughs> is made of breakfast food. <laughs> so this brings up the point in old-time radio about breakfast food yet again, and yeah. I'm constantly reminded that as we listen to these shows, you know, you can see it in almost all the mediums of that time, the, the, the parody and the making fun of breakfast food. And then you got to realize there was no such thing as breakfast food until corporate America invented breakfast food, you know, like cereal is now a breakfast food. It was relatively a new concept to be marketing breakfast food. So that's why they make so much fun of it. And it's always caught up in parody before that it was, I'm, I'm, I I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure people got up and said, I'm, I'll eat whatever that there wasn't, <laughs> wasn't specifically breakfast food, but that I think still happens. Real- My wife ate potato salad this morning for breakfast. I, <laughs> potato, potato salad and a fried egg sandwich. <laughs> you can argue that's eggs and potatoes. So you true, basically true, having a true. skillet. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, because most of the kids' radio shows were sponsored by cereal. Uh, Kellogg's Pep for Superman mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Frosted Flakes and all these others for uh, for the kids' shows. They were really marketing them, pushing them to, uh, to the kids. And, yeah, and cereal is just a brand new – well, not – not in the sense of it wasn't brand brand new, but the idea of how they marketed it, coming up with names, marketing it toward kids. I mean, it really kind of exploded at that time. Yeah. And I just, uh, it just pops up all the time that they're making fun of, of breakfast food. And it crosses over to other media. You've got uh, Calvin yeah. and Hobbes, where Calvin enjoys his chocolate frosted sugar bombs and so on. Yep. Yeah. It's all kinds of stuff like that. I think the least successful part of this is the very end. And I'm not sure if it's a, bad joke or if it doesn't stand the test of time and that is the uh judge who's giving the guy advice it's a classic structure it's the long build-up to a punchline but since it's basically the end of the show the, the punchline did not land for me and i'm not sure if i missed something in it i was waiting for it i knew the structure it's like he's gonna have just one little sentence or line that's gonna kick the legs out of this long elaborate setup but it just kind of went. For me, that was the wisdom section. But for me, I loved it because of the way the guy talked, because he had so many malapropisms while he was talking about uh, the trouble and his, the guy he felt sorry for. And he brings him into his house and he eventually runs away with his wife. And so the joke is they all they threaten him with trouble. They're going to make trouble for him. And his question is, can they make trouble for me? And it. I got the joke. It's, it, <laughs> I, I get the joke. I well, just don't I, think. I mean, quite, what I mean is, it, it worked for me as the punchline of the story. Oh, <laughs> when a joke goes past a certain length, you really feel like, oh, this is going to be so disappointing. This, they're really gonna, they're really gonna. <laughs> so everything I write, Tim. <laughs> no, it was a shaggy dog story for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as a as a fan of the long bit. Uh, when it comes to comedy, uh, I was horrifyingly disappointed in the end. And you keep saying, Peter, no, I got it. It played for me. I, I And Joshua said, yeah, I get it. I just don't know if I'm, I don't even get it. I don't even know what's going on. And no, we shouldn't spend any more time explaining it to me, because if you listen to the podcast, you know, that's fruitless. So, but uh, Dissect that frog. 
Well, see, Eric, they started with the alphabet. Uh, right? uh, what now? And then <laughs> each letter stood for a specific word. I criticized that last joke for its rhythm um, and the length of the setup, but I think the strength of this as a whole is the changing lengths of each segment. It has this um, unpredictable quality. Is this going to be a long thing? Is this going to be just a sh- short, quick joke and get out? And it it makes it really exciting to listen to. Yeah. Up until that very end. <laughs> I, I agree with you com- uh, almost completely. <laughs> and that may be why, why they skipped letters. I mean, Norman Corwin may have written uh, segments for each letter, but then, you know, throughout the ones that didn't, that didn't work or <laughs> didn't play or he ran out of money. I, I know that famously part of this um, series that he wrote, he did spend so much money at the top of the show. This was the first one and it has a huge cast and singers and musicians. And he did like three or four like this. And then he wrote uh, an episode called, I think a soliloquy to balance the budget. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one actor to perform and nobody else, no music, no anything to just sort of catch up on the budget. No kidding. I, I never really thought of it that way. I guess I guess he was probably told you've got X amount of dollars to spend. Make the best of it. <laughs> I mean, that was maybe my favorite thing about this thing is the incredible overproduction. Of just, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm serious. The, extravagance. Songs, the songs were fully orchestrated. It, 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 <laughs> I mean, it wasn't just a guy in a piano or a guy in a kazoo or a guy doing armpit farts. It was fully orchestrated. It was wonderful stuff. I mean, the songs were catchy and well-written and yeah. yeah but this, this series of dumb to clever jokes does not warrant that level of attention but they did it anyways and i'm glad they did <laughs> it makes it funnier because it, yeah. they, it, it's too much <laughs> in the does best it, all way did the whole thing strike you guys as one of those off-brand looney tunes where they just like here's a guide to uh, how to uh, be a mom and a dad in modern America. Do you know what I mean? Those Looney Tune off-brand ones that didn't have one of the main characters. Yeah. This seemed like that kind of joke, like he, uh, the the radio primer uh, to uh, A to Z, following that kind of setup and that kind of... um that madcap pacing to it. Yeah. It seemed like one of those... Does anybody else? I know, Tim, you get it. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? I get it and I say it. I, I don't know I do. what I picked up on it. I do. I, I didn't think of it at the time, but it, it makes sense. Yeah. Kind of like when they did, was it the House of the Future or something like that? Yeah. This just had that same kind of thing. And so my question is to you guys, how often did this show veer into comedy? They were doing classics mostly, weren't they? No, Columbia Workshop was hugely experimental. They would adapt stuff. They would do totally original right. things. They would do um, soliloquies to catch up with the budget. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So they were all over the place. But uh, Norman Corwin wrote a lot of humorous productions. He did, um, what's his famous one? The 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 plot plot to overthrow Christmas. Yeah, and it's all done in verse, and it's actually really funny. Yeah. Um, Sometime just to make Eric's life hell, I'm going to make him listen to it. But it's, (laughs) it's, it's really, it's basically all these famous historical figures in hell plotting to kill santa claus (laughs) and speaking in rhyme so it's glorious It's got emperor nero it's got uh peter the great or or ivan the terrible one of those russians and lucretia borgia i think so all kinds of terrific characters in that one but the columbia workshop if if i may uh um, 
like Joshua said, it's very experimental. Lots of things. You might have a drama one week or a comedy the next week. It might be uh, uh, just historical drama. It might be uh, a contemporary drama. One of my favorites is uh, Meridian 71212, and that is about the New York time system. When You could call in that number, Meridian 71212, and find out what time it is in New York. And uh, it's a series of vignettes, how people would call in and then their lives are revolving around time. So I, I recommend that one. Really do. Meridian 71212. And my troupe, uh, the Narada Radio Company, did um, a remake of it a few years ago, which I'm very proud of. And that's available. You can listen to that one if you want instead of the old one. Anybody got anything else to say about it? We can wind it up and move on to our vote. I just want to add that uh, uh, the hilarity of suicide. <laughs> I didn't know he was going to do it, but he done it. <laughs> it yeah. It's that era of comedy, though, again. Uh, it's that screwball, um, right. violent cartoon comedy that was also in things like the Marx Brothers and uh, Wheeler and Woolsey and, right. and film comedy of that era as well. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, Suicide again, is not funny unless it's defenestration. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, again, it just reminds me of those 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 off-brand Looney Tunes so much. Same kind of comedy. Yeah. Okay, let's vote. What are we voting on, dear listener? As a reminder, we are voting on, uh, one, whether this particular episode is a true representative installment of the overall series, and B, whether or not it is a standalone show that belongs in every radio aficionado's collection. And again... Joshua, Eric, Kim, this was your selection. You guys go first. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at those options again. Uh, Sorry, right, take your time. One, is it a true representative of some of the overall series? I can't answer that. Uh, but from that discussion we just had, I would say, yeah. I mean, if you're if you have uh, uh, if your setup is we can we will do anything, then yes, that fits. This counts as something. Yeah, you can't, right? you can't fail. So yes, it's a true representative. It's a true representation of the overall series because that's a brilliant marketing standpoint. Uh, we can do anything. So there. Uh, whether or not it stands alone, show that belongs in every radio aficionado's collection. Um, I will say no. I don't think it belongs in in the collection, but I definitely would say. Uh, to somebody who said, I'm going to listen to this show. I say, yeah, listen to it. It's, it's, it's funny and it's representational and it stands. It is historically also very uh, interesting to listen to. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I'll be wishy-washy like normal. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, follow those same lines. And particularly because it's it's not just a sort of middle of the road kind of radio episode, even, you know, it's not even just sort of, eh, that's what radio comedies are like. It's really off the wall, uh, which I think is what Columbia Workshop wants, is something really distinctive. Um, so in that way, I think it's a great example of Columbia Workshop. I also might go with this radio aficionados could probably live their whole lives and not have this in a collection. I think it's a lot of fun. Any radio aficionado would probably enjoy hearing it um, because it is that mix of insider baseball and just pitched at people who like radio. But, yeah, I don't know that I'd say it's, like, essential. Okay. Uh, yeah, I would definitely say this is representative of the CBS radio workshop uh, mm -hmm. and definitely representative of Corwin. 
this is a deconstruction of radio, and that's kind of what Corwin does, is, is he figures out all these different ways to present stories by just looking at every facet of radio and picking up the pieces of it and turning it around and seeing what he can do and what he can make out of it. Um, so I think this is very representative. I think it definitely belongs in an old-time radio aficionado's collection. The important word is aficionado, and this is <laughs> aimed exactly at old-time radio nerds. I'm also right. assuming that there is no limit to this collection. <laughs> right. I need to know the confines of the collection to really make my Sophie's choices here <laughs> to see which radio shows stay and which go. But I would say, assuming you have a fairly large size collection, that this would find a nice home there. I uh, would like to change everything I just said. Josh was absolutely right. <laughs> that's I'd like all to very, my opinion back. That's all, that's all very solid points. Uh, sitting currently in the heaping piles of my various collections, no. There's nothing more to go into any of my collections. There's no room. <laughs> yet, yet, get out of here. Paul. Well, like he said, uh, did they do something? Yes. Well, <laughs> that's that's what they do is they do everything so if they did something yes it is representative of the series and i liked it i think that like you said a radio geek would really like this kind of thing because it'd really be hitting a lot of the the gears that they they tend to click on and but i tell you what the one thing that it did kind of bother me a bit about this episode is you guys don't do the comedies we do the comedies and a lot of the comedies are in front of a live audience yeah. And so I'm listening to this thing, waiting to hear laughter, be it canned or the audience. And I'm like, crickets, what the hell? Crickets. And it's, I just had to keep reminding myself, they weren't doing it in front of a studio audience like so many of the other shows we listened to. You know, like uh, uh, Fibber McGee and Molly was in front of an audience. They did something, everyone started laughing, and you felt okay to laugh along with it. But then when I'm listening to this one, and they do something funny, I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh. Nobody's laughing. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I know why they're not laughing. But it just felt weird for a little bit, you know, until like the second time or so that I listened to it and started getting more of the feeling of the comedy without the laughter in it. It was really it was kind of strange, but I thought it was a pretty good episode. And uh, sure, every rate, like you said, Radio Geeks collection, I think it'd be a good one to add to it. Okay. Be. Now, this spoke to me. I am really I'm very grateful to Joshua for bringing this to my attention because uh, I had never heard it before. Of course, I've heard of Norman Corwin. I've heard a lot of the CBS radio workshop uh, programs, but not this one. And uh, I listened to it four times and laughed on my own. I didn't need the studio audience to help me figure out what was funny. Uh, I laughed every time at the Orson song. I laughed every time at the Deadline song. I laughed every time on the uh, the I have it written down here on the uh, trouble is a bobble. All those things because I love Yiddish type humor. Um, and and I think it's very representative of uh, Norman Corwin and very representative of Columbia Workshop. And it's only a half-hour program, so there's definitely room in your collection for, for, for this one. And I just loved it. And I will probably queue it up several times to listen to it again over the years, just because it's just so freaking funny. It was busy. 
uh, it was uh, on the beam all the way through, just boom, boom, boom. And I love that kind of comedy. I really do. So thank you for that, Joshua. And um, really, really happy about that one. Okay, great. This brings us to the end of episode 21 of Old Time Radio Essentials with Paul Arbisi, the absent Dave Feldman, and me, Pete Lutz. We thank our very special guests, the co-hosts of the far more popular... And interesting. (laughs) Yes, and interesting Old Time Radio Discussion Podcast, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. Tim and Eric and Joshua, thanks a bunch for joining us. It was our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It was great. Next time, the cycle comes around to Paul again. Finally! Yes, and I thank you so much for your patience. What are you bringing us next time? Next time, it'll be March, so I figure a little bit of St. Paddy's Day in there. So I got Duffy's Tavern from March 16th of 1945, starring Pat O'Brien. Awesome. Excellent. That sounds great, Paul. I'm looking forward to that. And now... Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. Oh, hold it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's my line. I'm sorry. I was getting bored. Isn't the show over yet? It will be. It will be in a minute after I say this. Paul, Joshua, Tim, tell the masses what they need to know. Oh, that is really corny. (sighs) Guys, tell them stuff. Old Time Radio Essentials is a production of 63 Audio, a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network. Subscribe on Apple or any other podcatcher you may use by searching under Mutual Audio Network and or Narada Radio Company. Like Old Time Radio Essentials on Facebook at Mutual Audio Fans and at Narada Radio Company Fans and Friends. Follow the show on Twitter at Essentials Old. If you want to suggest a future episode, write to Pete at F6.3 at gmail.com. That's the letter F, the number six, the word P-O-I-N-T, and the number three at gmail.com. Put the words essentials in the subject line. And if you would like to find out more about our podcast, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, go to ghoulishdelights.com. We have all our episodes there. There's over 200 of them. You can also find us on various uh, podcast dispensaries. I never get that right word, that word right. Um, podcast suppositories. Thank you. Yes, please stick to the script. <laughs> Where'd you please put that podcast? <laughs> hey, you got a line coming. Um. You can also at link to our social media pages. You can uh, link to our uh, swag at threadless.com. Uh, and uh, you can also get us on Patreon, which is awesome. We love our Patreon supporters. Okay, it's time to wrap things up. That's it, everybody. Join us next time for another fun installment of Old Time Radio Essentials. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Ad-lib. Farewells. That's what says in the script. Hi. Here. I'd like to ad lib this farewell, but I don't have it written down, so I can't. Hello. (laughs) Damn it. Wait a minute. Get comfortable and listen. Hey, he he did that pretty well. Are we recording this? Shh. shh, shh. Oh. oh no! Sixty-three audio. This is mutual.
Hi there. Are you a fan of all things horror? Yeah, you are? Well, in that case, find Tuesday Terrors, which is the mutual audio feed that comes out on a Tuesday, believe it or not. Shock horror, I know. But if you subscribe there, you'll find amazing horror fiction audio in your player every Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday Terrors. Subscribe to the Mutual Audio Network. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. <laughs>